Hello and welcome to Moving Iron Podcast. This edition of the Moving Iron Podcast is brought to you by these great sponsors. When you partner with Axon, you immediately gain access to a full range of products and solutions designed to meet the complex needs of today's grower. We carry all major brands and sizes of tires and wheels. We specialize in large diameter wheels for large equipment. We have one of the largest OEM replacement wheel inventories in North America. Known for extreme flotation setups, duals, and triples, we have wheels for all makes and models of tractors, sprayers, combines, and grain carts. If we don't have the wheel in stock, we'll custom build, sandblast, and paint in-house. There isn't a more vast inventory in North America dedicated to helping dealers move more iron. With facilities on the West Coast and in the heart of the Midwest, leverage our 230,000 square feet of indoor inventory to solve any problem a grower may have. Move more iron with Axon. Valley Transportation has been hauling ag and construction equipment across the country for the past 33 years. Call Parker at 800 657 4910 for all your trucking needs. At Valley Transportation, our goal is to help you reach yours. No matter how you buy your ag equipment, whether it's from a dealer, an auction, or a private party, AgDirect can help you finance it. You can even apply online to agdirect.com. Learn more about your financing options at agdirect.com. TractorZoom has access to over $20 billion in heavy equipment sales data. TractorZoom's Iron Comps is the industry's trusted solution for transparent equipment values and auctionable pricing insights. This podcast is brought to you by Anvil AppWorks. The Dealer Connect CRMI app with integrated inventory management is an affordable Salesforce-based solution for your dealership. Create connected customer experience and transform how you work. Moving iron in the 21st century. Hardworking people working hard for you and me. Moving higher time and time again. Through the years you'll find us here. Moving higher. Hello and welcome to Moving Iron Podcast Markets with Sean Hackett. Sean Hackett is with Hackett Financial out of Boca Raton, Florida. It's nice enough to come on and talk about what's happening in the world of commodities. Sean, how are you doing today? I'm good. Just getting back from a trip to Oklahoma City and to Missoula, Montana uh, for a couple of conferences. Went very well. Nice always to get out in the big uh, country again, and uh, but also nice to come back home. So, Yes, it's uh, Oklahoma City and Missoula. That's uh, the tale of two different cities there for sure when you start looking at geographical areas and, and then also what they were crop production i guess a little bit so talk a little bit about um what you're talking about there at your uh, two conferences you went to well in oklahoma city it was uh, the american bankers ag association annual meeting uh-huh. so it was, it was a big three-day conference um ton of people were there from different walks of life you know if anyone doesn't know that's they're, they're an organization that is heavily involved with washington dc um they're stationed in washington dc so they're obviously you know engaged in trying to push government into um, you know, certain directions in agriculture that they think are in the best interest of producers and farmers. And of course, my job on this particular conference, they wanted to just exclusively talk about the long-term weather patterns that, um, and the risks you know, that, uh, that I saw not only in the long-term, but also in the short-term. And so you know, we went over that, and it was extremely um, well-received. You know, most of the people 
most of them will not have heard much of what I talk about with solar cycles and sea surface temperature cycles and Gleisberg cycles and Amazon, um, you know, <laughs> Amazon monsoon uh, issues and that sort of thing. But um, uh, it, it was very well received, and um, and and I think this kind of information is uh, is important right now because these weather risks are uh, need to be correctly calibrated not only in um, how one actively markets the grain or you know handles their inputs, but also the kind of crop insurance they use, um, the kind of loans they take out, and of course bankers, you know, they have an interest in their in their customers paying the loans back. So obviously, if if the farmers are more profitable because be more proactive because they're addressing some of these weather risks, it it's incumbent upon the banker and the farmer to to take action, and also obviously trying to utilize more ag tech. Auto, you know, artificial intelligence, uh, quantum computing, drones, satellites, Internet of Things. I mean, there's a lot of things that can help mitigate some of these uh, weather volatility risks uh, going forward that uh, I think will separate successful farmers from ones that get kind of left behind are the ones that are adopting and adapting and being proactive versus the ones that keep doing things the way they were always doing. And I, I don't think that's going to work in the world we're heading into, at least as it, as it pertains to climate. So, yeah. Yeah. It's going to be a, some of the stuff you talk about, Sean, I, I've never heard anywhere else and I still haven't heard it, even though now that we've been talking about as long as we have, and it's the, uh, with these things that are coming down the pike, stuff you're talking about, um, if they happen and, and the things go the way you're talking about, it's going to dramatically change the way farmers do business and not necessarily just that, just how the whole world does business when it comes to, you know, food and it's going to be a it's it's not necessarily um putting things into a into a good basket here i mean the united states is going to have a good opportunity to kind of rebound itself back to what it was in you know the 70s and 80s as far as exporting goes well i and i mean i and one of my one of the big things this is this is my first week of, of new presentations for the new uh season of speaking you know, and, and I always refresh, as you know, an update and, and, and you know, as, as weather per, uh, moves along. But uh, I definitely um, uh, definitely talk about how there's the potential for a renaissance decade ahead for U.S. agriculture, if I'm correct, in ascertaining that Brazil might be entering in a, 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 at least a decade-long drought period where their production is going to be constrained. You know, that's a game-changer for the opportunity for the U.S. to gain exports back, gain market share back. And if we're successful in utilizing ag tech to be more efficient and mitigate some of these risks, I mean, it really could be, you know, a, a golden decade for U.S. agriculture after, a, quite frankly, very difficult period as we've been losing out to Brazil and, and you know, losing out for uh, in other ways from China and other things. So, so that part of the, um, you know, of our... Uh, talk you know is, is, is actually pretty optimistic um obviously it's not optimistic for if you're a brazilian producer but you know right. it's just the way it's going to go at least according to the way it looks like to me that's just the way it's going to go at this point there's always a winner and loser at, at times and you know we lost for a while but I, I think we could be a big winner here for a while and, and that's a, a very positive message to bring home you know to a um to a u.s agricultural sector that's kind of down a little bit casey you know there's a lot of negativity out there there's a you know the, the u.s farmers been beat up a lot in 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 recent years on a whole bunch of fronts and you know i i do think that um you know this could help um you know, bring some optimism back 
um, in our, you know, in this important sector for the country. So, yeah. Yeah, it's going to be an interesting time. Uh, you know, 24 is shaping up to be a, a very interesting year across the spectrum of, of what we see happening here. I mean, in the equipment side of the business, we're seeing, you know, some uh, deflating of a bubble, you know, coming out of COVID, you know, where the prices got high and those kind of things. We're starting to see a big correction there. Um, I I am anticipating it's going to be interesting to watch how that plays out because if – if what you're talking about happens in 24 and we start and we see um, some good, uh, you know, where, where the supply and demand things are, are still in a very on the low side of things. I'm, I'm just curious to watch how this works out. We start looking at on-farm income and will we start setting in a quote unquote new normal of where pricing on equipment starts playing just because of, of the access to on-farm income going in, you know, throughout 24 is that going to be as bad as I'm anticipating? You know, as, as, I guess no. Is the correction going to be as as sharp as I think it's going to be? In, in or, or remember, you know, one of the big factors is who has the crop problem, right? Exactly. Yeah. I mean, if the U.S. has the big crop problem, yeah, high prices never compensate for a terrible crop. You know this. I mean, it yep. just doesn't work that way. So, so if 24. If it's Brazil that has the big crop problem and our crop, I mean, let's assume that the Gleisberg cycle drought is 2025, which I believe is is the more likely year. Mm-hmm. It could be 24, but let's just assume for a second it's 25. And we do, we have not the best weather, below trend line yield crops again, but still, you know, low 170s corn, you know, f- f- crops that are still r- respectable. But we have a major crop problem and, and, and supply constriction out of Brazil. You, know, you could have very good prices and production being decent enough that where that farm income could actually be a so could surprise to the upside and be better than, yeah. than what our the, the current projections are i think that is as well as always you have to sell the, the winter rally if we get it if we get this big rally on on Brazil, you have to cash sell that or else right. you've not made any farm income but assuming you're proactive during you know the winter months and we get this right. rally you know I, I my suspicion is farm income is going to turn out to be better in 24, maybe not as good as we saw the last few years, but but considerably better than, than what the current projections are. That would be my best guess from what I'm looking at right now. I think it might be a little bit better. I don't think it's going to be, um, you know, quite as negative as, you know, the, the, the current consensus opinion is right now. Yeah. So. Yeah. And that's a, uh, it's just going to be a, a, a fun, th- a fun thing to watch happen as you watch how these things progress along and what you're doing and how those things are playing out. It's going to be interesting to watch how 24 plays out. So. And of course, you know, it's election year. Oh yeah. Uh, we have no idea who's going to be running for president on either side. From what I can see, we just have no idea. Um, so uh, political chaos and geopolitical chaos is going to, is going to reign supreme in 24 impossible to predict exactly how each thing's going to wiggle waggle but but i can i can definitely foresee um some surprises on both of these fronts that can cause some increased price volatility and remember price volatility is an opportunity for either the end user or the producer to get economic advantage if they take advantage of that volatility so the more volatility we see in prices the better the opportunities are for producers who are proactive to bring more of that money home on the farm, so we, 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 you know, a lot of people fear price volatility. My view is, you know, for, for between 2012 and 2020, prices went nowhere 
2015, corn had the lowest price volatility in 50 years, meaning, you know, if we were up five cents, that was a big deal. Yeah. I don't know how you bring a whole much, you know, where there's a lot of economic opportunity in a five cent corn move either way. Pretty hard to bring more on him from what you basically, you know, are just looking at, you know, things you could do in the farm to be more efficient stuff. But I mean, you know, but when, when you have corn prices or soy prices that are moving, you know, dollars up and down in a given year in terms of its overall yearly trading range, that is tremendous opportunity on both sides. And I really would, would, and I always try to convey that in my speeches is that, you know, this is not to be feared. This is to be actually um, embraced as an opportunity to be, to be more profitable as a farmer, but you just can't sit on your hands and sell at, at harvest time. You have to be able to be active throughout the season and taking advantage of those opportunities. Yeah, so. for sure. For sure. All right. Wild's report came out yesterday and uh, saw a few things happen. Soybeans kind of took a kick in the pants there. But I guess, Sean, as you look at the report, what are your thoughts there? You know, I didn't really see anything that was a major change in the in the overall profile. I mean, the, I believe the, the market has traded our crops. We can argue it's up, it's down, it's this, it's that. And it's done. The market is not. It's done. Yeah, you know, we yeah we were down yesterday, but don't forget, soybeans had a rally. We're, we had a nice rally leading into the report. So, so bottom line is, I, we've traded our crop, um, and now what we're, what the market is is doing is starting to look at South America. Remember, we markets don't tend to rally during planting season. No matter how dire the weather is, they don't tend to rally much during planting season. Look at our growing season. You know the hottest. I mean, the uh, the driest May in 50 years, and then we had the driest June in 50 years, and we really didn't start moving the market until mid-June. Um, and then it was a straight-up shot, uh, you know, as you know, where we had that move out north of $6 there for a little while. Yeah. We're still in the planting season. So as, as, as crazy, unbelievably hot and dry it is in North Brazil and how it's the worst start I'm aware of since we've been recording this stuff. It's still the planting season. Now you're starting into December. December for soybeans is like June. Now you start getting December and you start saying, okay, what was planted? What does it look like? And what? The, and now what does the weather look like? That's when the markets start to tend to react to weather. So we're not quite there yet. But if you look at the calendar, we're almost here in mid-November. So we're not too far away from getting into where markets actually start reacting to to weather, so I, you know, I, I I get a lot of calls, a lot of emails, a lot of texts of uh, farmers who are frustrated that the market isn't reacting. And I said, they don't, you know. And I, I, I reiterate this. I said, how often, how many times do, does the grain markets react to unfavorable uh, April May weather in the U.S.? How many times? And they go, well, it just doesn't. Then why do you? Why, why would you expect it to be any different in South America? Mm-hmm. It won't, and it's not. Uh, yeah, having said that, we have seen a little bit upside price volatility for soybeans, but but listen, keep it in perspective. There's a time the market likes to react, and it's not planting season. But th- that's the bad news. The good news is we're almost into the growing season, and then that's where the excitement can can get started. So so I wouldn't get I wouldn't get uh, uh, negative about things, but at the same time, there's still an opportunity because markets haven't moved based upon the weather. If you're, uh, you know, if you're on the end user side, if you're, you know, you, there's opportunities here before you don't want to start taking action in mid-December when the market is going rip-roaring to the upside. Everyone telling you how hot and dry and the crops can be terrible. That's not the time to take proactive action. Um, the time to take proactive action is 
Now, you know, when no one is, is, is paying attention or no one is really pricing it into current prices. And so that's the message is, you know, utilize quiet dissidents to your advantage. Don't get, don't, don't be reactive to the markets, be proactive ahead of them making big moves. Right on. All right. So when you're looking at um, the cattle market right now, we've seen the cattle market has had a fairly decent correction here over the last couple of weeks. Um, uh, last couple, last last month, really, I guess. Yeah. But as you yeah. as you're looking at what's going on there, your thoughts as we move into this these winter months where we see typical um, beef demand start to slide a little more than than normal. Well, I mean, if, if you look at the, the feeder cattle price, it's been kind of a mini crash. I mean, it's just been just a the bottom's falling out, especially on the feeder cattle market. But as you know, Casey, we've been very, very negative on cattle you know, for several months. And we, on your show multiple times, strongly, strongly encourage those on the livestock cattle side to protect uh, downside price risk heading into you know, the first half of the year and, and, and the price break, you know, is certainly supportive of the, of the recommendations that we made, not only our show, but that we make to our, to our customers. And, um, so, so I'm not surprised that the market's correcting. I think technically, if you look at where fetal cat feeder cattle and live cattle are right now, where I think we're getting into some kind of a, a, a pretty strong support area, it all, it kind of feels like we're kind of reaching some kind of a little bit of an overshoot to the downside and we might get a little bit of a bounce potentially into the end of the year you know there's always a little bit of demand that comes in for holidays last minute purchases that sort of thing i'm not expecting anything going back to the highs or anything like that at all all right at this point but i think we could get some kind of a bounce i think this week's uh yesterday's decline was you know pretty nasty um, and, um, you know, it, it almost, it, it just gave me a sense of panic, uh, you know, of capitulation, you know, the, where you just, everyone who's, everyone's just throwing in the towel. That's what yesterday looked like to me in the cattle uh, sector. So, you know, it doesn't mean we can't go learn today, but, but when you start getting that kind of action in the market, it typically means you're near a washout point and at least some kind of you know, of a reversion, a technical bounce, a short covering rally is, is, is to be had, but I wouldn't expect it to be anything exciting. I'm not really expecting anything exciting here, Casey, um, really until we get to the spring from spring onward on, on my long-term views, I will become much more constructive on the cattle market. In the meantime, I think we could have bounces and, 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 and corrections and bounces and corrections, you know, maybe a two-sided trade, and if you're someone who didn't protect those higher prices or still have a need to move cattle because you didn't you know, take advantage of those higher prices, you know, the only thing I can tell you, if, the, if you're someone right now listening to the show and you're in that position, look for bounces, technical bounces along the way. Try to move, move, your, move, your, uh, you know, move your cattle out. That's the only thing I can you – know, it's not desirable. You, you, sh- I, you, know, you don't want to be in that position, but if you are in that position – you know, use technical rallies to your advantage, and we're probably close to one now. Is my best guess. So, okay. okay. All right. So, there's something I've been paying attention to here for a while, just because where it was at, and, and the different things that we saw happen. You know, the price of oil kind of bounced around the 60s and then the 70s, and it got to the 80s, kind of stayed there. And we had this big run up here in in, in September where we saw Brent oil 
get almost a hundred bucks. It's like just under like ninety six and a half or something like that, right towards the tail end of September. And then you look at where it's at today, and we've seen about a about a sixteen or seventeen dollar decline um, in the price of oil um, over the uh, uh, last basically basically month month or so. Uh, right now, you're looking at at oil yesterday closed. Brent oil closed yesterday, right at uh, seventy nine and fifty four. That's a pretty big drop in a month, considering where how how steady oil has been in in this in the the trading areas that it's been in. I guess, Sean, as you look at this last thirty days of of oil, what are your thoughts there, and where do you see that kind of heading? I, I want to be clear. I I am never one that tends to be a conspiracy theorist. You know, I try to stick to objective data crunching. You know how I operate. You know, I try to stick to the facts and only the facts and nothing but the facts. Having said that, we know crude oil to a large degree is an insider's market. It is. An election year is coming up. I don't believe high energy prices are what the current administration would like to see in an election year. And it's very interesting that Secretary Blinken uh, about a month ago went over and did kissy kissy huggy huggy with the House of Saud, mm-hmm. and then and then they magically made a trip over here to do kissy kissy huggy huggy. And I don't know what was discussed, but all of a sudden the price of oil just magically just started to fall for no real apparent reason that I could see. And so I have a sneaky suspicion something was agreed to where the U.S. is going committed. And, and and I've read this in other places. I'm not, you know, this is not my own original thought necessarily, but that that I think the U.S. is is committed uh, now that that we're there with uh, warships because of Israel, and, and mm-hmm. that we're we are we are committing greater military protection for Saudi Arabia, and in return for that protection, military protection from those that want to harm Saudi Arabia and others. Um, because you know Saudi Arabia has a lot of excess capacity, I, I think they came to an agreement that their job in this agreement is to get the energy price down to something that's more palatable for the current administration heading into an election year. A hundred dollar barrel oil is very problematic. Low to mid seventies crude oil is not problematic. That will work, and I, and I just have it. It just have a very sneaky suspicion that when you look at the timing of these meetings, the kind of high level talks, and then magically the bottom falls out for really no apparent. Yeah. People were making up stories. It's the economy. All that stuff was there before Casey. It's just all of a sudden it just fell. And I just think something was agreed to because the Saudi Arabia can do this to the crude oil market anytime that they wish, because they have that power and supply and capacity to, to, to do that. Um, that's my speculation. Um, I can't say it, I, it, it's correct, for sure. Uh, I don't have any inside knowledge on it, but my suspicion is there's a concerted effort to keep energy prices down through the election. And after that, <laughs> I would think that the top, the 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 the, uh, the upside could be um, explosive, because once you're in, once you become president again, <clears throat> well, you know. You don't like it now. That's fine, but you know we'll worry about it four years from now. You know, yeah. That's just that's my speculation, Casey. But I, I think 
there's some validity to what I just said. Uh, it's the only thing that I could see that, that that explains how you can have whatever $15 drop in for, for really no change, material change that I could see um, in the marketplace other than high-level talks back and forth with a country that has the ability to 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 impact and 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 alter the price of oil in Saudi Arabia. That's my speculation. So, yeah. All right. Let's talk one more thing here, real quick. Let's talk soybean meal and crush rates and those kind of things as we start looking in. Uh, we start going through as harvest starts rolling in. We start looking at crush rates. Where where are we at on that right now? Because we had this big boom with soybean oil and and biodiesel and this that and the other thing and uh we've seen some palm oil stuff come out uh where those we've seen different articles about reduction in palm oil and those kind of things so i guess as you're looking at at the uh the vegetable oil market and crush rates and those kind of things sean what do you see happening there and and what are your thoughts moving into you know post-harvest supply well just remember a year and a half ago when we had all the excitement over renewable diesel, jet fuel to the moon, and all that sort of thing, and they gunned the oil market to record high prices yeah. with the idea that we were going to have a record. And, of course, that was creating a record crush at the time. And what was that, was that doing? That was producing more oil and at the expense of too much bean meal. And, and as you know, the oil-to-meal ratio was got to a record level, meaning that the oil price, bean oil price, traded a record premium to the bean meal price. And then all of a sudden, the, the EPA and the administration started to um, have an issue with food for fuel. And in the June report this year, the final report on mandates for U.S. renewable diesel, the EPA basically fumbled the ball. Not fumbled the ball. They backed away. And said that in the next three years, we're not really going to increase the mandates a whole lot. We're, we're just going to kind of kick the can down and see how everything plays out. And that ended it. It doesn't mean the demand for oil is not strong, but it's not going to be the parabola that everyone thought. Because if you don't have the mandates, if you don't have the subsidy added to the refiners, you're not going to be able to make a lot of money. So once that happened, or once that, or once that decision took place, it ended the oil um, euphoria. And so the oil market, the bean oil market has now deflated. What, getting back to a more realistic view of what's likely going to be the three-year trajectory for renewable diesel uh, based upon the current mandated expectations. What does that mean? That means the crush goes down. Well, if the crush goes down, you're producing less meal. If you're producing less meal, it's less supply. The meal market gets a little bit of a of a bid. And so we've seen so we started to see the oil mill spread start to narrow. But remember, Argentina had a half crop in soybeans last year. And they don't sell soybeans. They sell meal and oil. But they really sell meal. And though and that dearth of export supply is hitting the market now into the spring, meaning there is no supply coming out of the largest exporter in the world for bean meal. So the only one that really has meal to sell in, in large quantities is who? Us. So our exports of meal are going through the roof because of this. Um, 
So then that, so then, oh, wow, the crush, the crush rates went through the roof because the meal market's starting to take off because of the shortage from Argentina. Let's do maximum crush. And now we're seeing maximum crush rates to produce the meal. And now we're producing too much oil. It's exactly the opposite of where we're, and now the meal oil ratio is starting to get to the opposite extreme. So uh, there's really no way that I see that that's going to be alleviated until Argentina harvests the next soybean crop, assuming it's going to be a better crop. And I believe it's going to be, it may not get all the way back to normal, but I think it's going to be a, a solid crop and they're going to have meal to sell, you know, let's say from, from the spring onward. Okay. Once they get back into the export market, this whole uh, thing will start to normalize again. So, you know, about a month ago, you know, we had uh, talked about on your show and also in, in my report about, you know, livestock just locking in meal because we were getting capital flow signals and we were seeing this potential coming up that we could see a big uh, spike higher in meal prices based upon this shortage. And we've been seeing that. Having said that, you know, we're starting to get the market up into this, you know, mid upper 400s. You know, I think $500 is, you know, would be a maximum overshoot, Casey, on this scenario. Remember, feed demand um, isn't, isn't fantastic right now in terms of actual demand. It's good for the U.S. because of the shortage, but the actual demand isn't that great. I don't think we're likely to see the prices for meal in the nearby you know, being able to get over that $500 mark, you know, I, I'd be very surprised. So I guess we're at, where are we at? I think we're pretty getting pretty close to pricing in the spread maximally. And I think we're getting pretty close to pricing in meal to, 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 to address the shortage. And, and for those that can pull back on meal demand, look, you can use canola meal. There's other things you can do. You can change rations. And believe me, Dairymen are going to are going to reduce some meal rations, and they're going to figure out ways to use less. That's what the market is doing right now. It's, it's telling everyone if you can pull back on your meal demand, please do. We just need to get through until Argentina harvests the next crop. So I, I, I think we've had the reaction that we were looking for, Casey, um, in terms of the spread and the nominal price. I think most of it has already happened. I don't think there's a lot more opportunity there. The only thing that I would say uh, on that front is um, uh, keep an eye on Brazil. If Brazil has a major weather market for soybeans and soybeans really, really take off, that's where you could see the crush margin shrink, right? Because the crush margin is a function of the beans that you pay versus the output of selling oil and meal and, and making that net spread. If we see the oil, the soybean price take off, and it's, but it's, it's outperforming, meal and oils i believe that it will and you start getting a compression of of um crush rates or you know crush profitability and then the demand you know could start to, to, to fall off so so th this is there's a lot going on here but bottom line to say that i think that the meal market is kind of leading the, the soybean market so so the meal market went up first then the soy market's going to come up and then the meal market's going to back off. And then, you know, I, I think it's kind of a yin and a yang situation here, as it often is where meal leads soybeans up and leads soybeans down. It's not unusual for the meal market to do that in the soybean complex. Right on.
Okay. Well, Sean, good stuff as usual. If folks want to reach out to you and get more information about what it is you're doing over to Hacker Financial, what's the best way to do that? I'd say two best places is you know, our Twitter page, at Faradix11, or our website, H-A-C-K-E-T-T, Hackett Advisors, with an S, um, dot com. And, uh, and you know, we have interviews and different sample reports that people can look at and, and interviews they can watch to see if the way we look at the world in agriculture might be of value to those watching and listening to your show. Right on, man. Well, Sean, I really appreciate you being on the podcast, man, and I uh, look forward to talking to you next week. Sounds good, Casey. Thanks. Right on. I'm Casey Seymour with Moving Iron Podcast. Check me out on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at Moving Iron LLC. Go to LinkedIn at Moving Iron Podcast and check out the YouTube channel, which is the Moving Iron Podcast YouTube channel where you can see the video version of this very podcast. Go to movingironllc.com for everything Moving Iron related. And uh, if you want, there be some announcements coming up there. You're supposed to have a new website up here, hopefully by the sometime in January. And we'll get that taken care of, and we'll go from there. But with that, I'm Casey Seymour. We're Sean Hackett. Let's be smart, folks. Out. When you partner with Axon, you immediately gain access to a full range of products and solutions designed to meet the complex needs of today's grower. We carry all major brands and sizes of tires and wheels. We specialize in large diameter wheels for large equipment. We have one of the largest OEM replacement wheel inventories in North America. Known for extreme flotation setups, duals, and triples, we have wheels for all makes and models of tractors, sprayers, combines, and grain carts. If we don't have the wheel in stock, we'll custom build, sandblast, and paint in-house. There isn't a more vast inventory in North America dedicated to helping dealers move more iron. With facilities on the West Coast and in the heart of the Midwest, leverage our 230,000 square feet of indoor inventory to solve any problem a grower may have. Move more iron with Axon. Valley Transportation has been hauling ag and construction equipment across the country for the past 33 years. Call Parker at 800-657-4910 for all your trucking needs. At Valley Transportation, our goal is to help you reach yours. No matter how you buy your ag equipment, whether it's from a dealer, an auction, or a private party, AgDirect can help you finance it. You can even apply online at agdirect.com. Learn more about your financing options at agdirect.com. TractorZoom has access to over $20 billion in heavy equipment sales data. TractorZoom's Iron Comps is the industry's trusted solution for transparent equipment values and auctionable pricing insights. This podcast is brought to you by Anvil AppWorks. The Dealer Connect CRMI app with integrated inventory management is an affordable Salesforce-based solution for your dealership. Create connected customer experience and transform how you work. Moving iron in the 21st century